You ever seen any of these lists that come out? You know it's going to be a bad day when, and it just goes down on all the things. Well, that happens sometimes. Uh, I had a wonderful day on Monday, and I knew it was going to be a great week. Had a good day last Sunday, and boy, my spirits were up. And, and then Monday comes, and Monday normally have a little dip, you know, but Monday, something happened that really picked me up. I was down here at the church Monday morning, and I decided to run over to get some yogurt for lunch, get one of those slim, fast, low-fat yogurts over on Broadway. And uh, ready to go? I heard you groan back here. <laughs> so I went over there, and I got the yogurt, and I came out. And I was in a hurry to come on back over, so I was eating the yogurt, and I got in my car and pulled out on the Broadway, and a policeman was coming toward me. He was... 50 yards or so down there, a long, safe distance, and all this traffic coming. So I pulled out and uh, started south on Broadway, coming back toward the church. But I instinctively, every time I pass a policeman, I instinctively look in the rearview mirror. I know you don't, but I instinctively look in the rearview mirror to see what he's going to do. And as soon as he passed me, he whipped a U right in the middle of the street and came up behind me with all those lights flashing. My guilt all took over. I, I started thinking, what did I do? Uh, was I not supposed to turn left? Well, there was no sign there saying not to turn left. Uh, seat belt, and my seat, I put the seat belt on. I want to go out and put the car in the garage at night. So I had the, I had the seat belt on and inspection sticker, okay. Insurance over there in the pocket, okay. I certainly wasn't speeding. I hadn't gone far enough to do that. Uh, just gone a uh, hundred yards or so, and I thought, oh my goodness, maybe there's a law against driving while you're eating low-fat yogurt. <laughs> that maybe it's part of that open container law, you know, you're not supposed to. And so I started trying to hide the yogurt, you know, and, And I pulled over, you know, I pulled over and I lowered the window and I started getting my uh, driver's license out and a policeman came walking up beside me and he leaned in the window and he said, Buckner, how was church yesterday? <laughs> so help me, I can give you his name. I'll never forget it. I want him to stop me all the time. And nevertheless, how was church yesterday? He said, we... We live out in the country, go to a small church, but occasionally we come into Trinity and always enjoy it, and it's an exciting experience and had some nice things to say. So I said, you scared the daylights out of me doing that. He said, oh, I didn't mean to do that. He just said, I saw you, and I wanted to visit with you a little while. So he stood there <laughs> leaning on that window. Well, all these people going by, you know, looking over there. I felt like, I felt like... Bonnie and Clyde, you know, here we are. And if you drove by and saw me stopped, I want you to know, you see, you, you were thinking bad things about me, weren't you? Well, uh, I kept thinking, boy, how did, you know, all these people looking, they think I got stopped for speeding or whatever. Well, that's why he said, we'll be seeing you soon. He may be here today. Uh, he said, we'll be, be seeing you soon. So he drove on off. And I came on back down here to church. Boy, I was feeling good. I knew it was going to be a good week when a policeman stops you and talks about church. It's going to be a good week. The point I want to make is things are not always what they seem outwardly. Right? Things are not always what they seem. 
Things seemed to be really bad that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee when there were about 12 or 15,000 people who were hungry, didn't have anything to eat or any place to get it. It was a tough time. In the Bible, it's called the feeding of the 5,000, but that just lists the men, 5,000 men. It doesn't count the women. It's a patriarchal society. They didn't count the women and the children of probably 12, 15,000 people. Multitude of people following Jesus, wanting to hear what he had to say, and he got late. It was a desolate place, the Scripture tells us. Lonely place. And it was a bad time. But Jesus was there. That's the difference. It looked bad. But God was on the scene. In person. Life may sometimes seem desolate, lonely. It may to you today. You may be hungering inside for a sense of purpose, self-esteem, meaning, forgiveness. He is there to meet the need of your heart. Because when you read this account in the Scripture and in the fourth first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of them records this story for us. It made such a profound impression upon each of them that they not only wrote it out of a human impression, they also wrote it because of divine inspiration. God was trying to tell us something about what he wants to do in our lives and yours and mine when things seem to be going badly. You see, I believe all of the miracles are living parables. All of the parables are parables. Jesus used stories. The kingdom of God is like a net. The kingdom of God is like a pearl. The kingdom of God is like uh, two boys, you know, living in the home. One of Lee is the prodigal son. The parable of the good Samaritan. Those are parables. But I believe also that the miracles of Jesus are also in the Bible, not just to tell us something about what Jesus did and about his power, they are there to teach us something about what Jesus Christ will do in your life and in mine. On whatever shore we find ourselves. So here is Jesus Christ ministering to a great group of people. And he said, okay, let's feed these folks. Let's feed these people. Jesus did not ask any of them what they believed, what kind of life they'd been living, what their moral standards were, whether they ever went to the synagogue or didn't go to the synagogue, whether they ever read the Scriptures or didn't go to the Scriptures. I want you to notice the unconditional love of God for anybody and everybody who hungers or who feels alone or desperate, or desolate. You can read this account in the 14th chapter of Matthew, the, ninth, uh, the 6th chapter of Mark, the 9th chapter of Luke, and the 6th chapter of John. And they all tell us some things about this story. All of these people, no food. It tells us, first of all, about searching people. Searching people. There are people all over the world that are looking for some purpose in their lives. 
how many people in America? About 260 million people, something like that. Uh, Baptists claim about 10 million people belong to the Baptist church. We can't find a bunch of them, but we, you know, 10 million or so. And um, assume that all of them are Christians and hopefully love God and wish they were active in their church, wherever that is. But add other, uh, other Baptists, that's the largest single Protestant denomination. 10 million Southern Baptists. That means there are 250 million people in America that have turned us off. 10 million sounds big. 260 million. There are a lot of people. Add all the denominations together. Catholic, Protestant. Say you've got 50 million people. Suppose you have 100 million people. That means there are hundreds of millions of people in America that need God. And they need to know that God loves them and cares for them and wants to provide for them in whatever situation they might be in. We have a planet of searchers looking, hoping, wishing. And in the middle of that scene is a caring Christ who said he looked on these folks like sheep without a shepherd. A caring Christ. Unfortunately, the church has not always reflected the same caring spirit as her Lord. But with God's help and the prayers of God's people in this place, we want to be as inadequate and frail and fallible as we are. We want to be, and I know you join me in this, we want to be as much as possible a reflection of the unconditional love and caring of Jesus Christ in our day. To anybody and to everybody. A caring Christ. I remind you, I've said it often, we'll say it often. Jesus does not love all of us. He loves each one of us. Separate, apart from everybody else in the world. He loves you, as Augustine said, as though you're the only one that needs love. That's how personal it is, how individual it is, how intimate it is. A caring Christ in the midst of a searching crowd. And you also have some frustrated leaders. You know, they were, they were, they looked around. I don't blame them for being frustrated. I've been frustrated. They said, where are we going to get food for this crowd? Who's going to feed them? Frustrated. Boy, you can find frustrated leaders anywhere. Church, government, school, politics, business. Where are we going to get some help? Fortunately for them, there was one possibility thinker in the group. They said, well, I've got a little kid over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. And the practical-minded folks said, that won't do any good. What's that in the face of so many people? Sort of a put-down. Well, that's logic thinking, isn't it? I mean, that's computer thinking. What's that going to do? She had one little boy there that said, well, I've, I've got five loaves and two fish. It may not be a lot, but I'll give what I've got. You had a searching crowd. You had a caring Christ. You had frustrated leaders, but I want you to notice what happened. In the middle of that came a willing little boy. And I want you to see what God will do with willingness. And what's needed in my life and in yours and in the life of this church and in the life of God's work in the world is not more resources, but more willingness. That's the spirit that will make a difference. Here's this little kid who says, okay, I'm willing to give my five loaves and my two fish. And then I want you to notice what Jesus did. 
First of all, he invited. He said, bring it to me. And, and he gives you the same invitation today. Bring it to me. Bring whatever you've got. Bring your problems to me. Bring your burdens to me. Bring your heartaches to me. Bring your failures to me. Bring your decisions to me. Bring it to me. Bring everything you've got. You say you only have five loaves and two fishes to give? Bring it to me. And just watch what I can do. Because your little plus God will equal much. For little is much when God is in it. And God is in it. He's in this place. And he's in what we're endeavoring to do here. So there's nothing little in the sight of God. The crowd standing around might say, well, what are five loaves and two fish going to do? Jesus said, you watch what they'll do when they get in my hands. Bring them to me. He invites. Then it's interesting to me. This never impressed me too much until I was thinking about it this week. He organized the group. He said, I want you to get in a certain group. Fifty here, fifty here, fifty here. He what did he do? He was organizing Sunday school classes. He was going to two Sunday schools. It's exactly what he was doing. He organized it. Okay, I want a group here. Read the scripture. It is there. About 50 groups, all, all out there. They probably uh, had uh, a departmental director and uh, a teacher and an outreach leader and a record secretary. They, they, they organized. And then Jesus got the disciples up there and he multiplied the loaves and fishes. Gave a little to each one of those and said, okay, now you go take it to the leaders. That's church, my friend. You see, this is, a big, this is a big crowd, but it's a little church because it breaks down into those little groups, all being ministered to by the bread of life being distributed by God's people. So this church can have 20,000 members, 50,000 members. The strength of it won't be that. The strength of it will be those small groups where we know each other and share with each other and care for each other and know each other by the first name. That's what happened on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And by God's grace and with God's power, that's what can happen right here. That's what's happening right here. Now, there's some people who think that this is church. This is wonderful. It's marvelous. It's a great celebration. But you're missing something if you're not part of one of the groups that Jesus organizes there on the shore. And there's some people that are part of those little groups that miss the great celebrations of coming together. We need both. We're so constructed that we need both of those ingredients of relationship in our lives. So that's why it was constructed that way. Every now and then somebody said, well, I don't believe in organized religion. Do you believe in disorganized religion? Uh, do you believe in disorganized uh, air traffic control? You say, well, let everybody do what they want to do. They all know how to fly. So just turn them loose. No, you believe that some, the Bible says all things must be done decently and in order. Now, it's a problem when organization becomes organizationalism and it begins to take over and stifle ideas and creativity. But organization is a great vehicle for accomplishing something. What if everybody in town decided they wanted to drive just how they wanted to drive? They wanted to run stop signs when they wanted to or run red lights when they wanted to. Disorganized traffic. Disorganized air traffic. Disorganized religion. It's all organized for the purpose of getting the distribution of the bread of life equally to anybody and everybody, whoever they are and wherever they are. That's the whole purpose of it. And Jesus said, bring it to me, he'll take it. He never turns it down, make how difference how big or little it is. He never turns down what you bring. He will bless it, he will break it, and then he will distribute it. Now, I have two or three ideas I want to share with you. You may want to write them down. If you, if you don't write them down, I hope they'll stick in your mind. 
Number one, remember this, Jesus invites any of us and all of us. You are on his personalized invitation list. And the list is not printed by a computer somewhere. It is a handwritten invitation to you. Personal invitation to come to him. He invites any of us. He invites all of us. And he will take our best, however small, and make it much. He'll take our best, however small, and make it much. That's why we're having this five and two offering, the five loaves and two fishes offering. Now, we have a lot of things up here you can give for the children's expanded ministries in our church, for new rooms, new facilities, more children, more ministries. And, and the reason we have all of this up here is so you can see what combinations of five and two can do. Uh, $20 for a laundry hamper, covered trash can, $50. Say, why so much? Well, you get 50 kids, it's different than having one. You got to have one that'll do more work than the one you have in your home. Crib here, swing there, preschool read to me Bible, $20. All of these in increments of two or five or any combination thereof. Uh, someone told me during Sunday school between services this morning, what about adding five and two together? Can I give $7? Said, sure. Or seventy dollars. You, 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 any mixture thereof, it'll make a difference. We're just trying to help you see what a small gift can do if it's a represents your best. I don't care if you give six hundred and sixty-six dollars. We'll take that bad number, baptize it, and make something Christian out of it. <laughs> you give it to the Lord, He'll take it and He'll change it, multiply it to meet some need. So uh, you say, well, what can five dollars do? Five dollars can buy. Little toy phone here so we can teach little girls how to talk on the telephone. <laughs> Don't get mad. No, oh, I feel the crowd turning on me here. <laughs> Men, come to my rescue. Uh, I apologize, ladies. Uh, $5 for a little toy phone, whatever it might be. So, well, what, what, good, can, what good can that do? Uh, do you remember the story I told you years ago about Horace Mann, when the great uh, speaker lecturer that he was, was dedicating a what they called a reformatory, a boys' reformatory in upstate New York. They call them different names now, school for children or whatever, state school. But this is a boys' reformatory in upstate New York, and Horace Mann was the dedicatory speaker. And in his speech he said, if only one boy is saved, all the money spent, for this reformatory is worth it. If only one boy's life is changed because of this reformatory, it's worth every dime spent. The man after he finished said, well, I agree with your speech in, 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 in most parts. I, you're a great speaker and I'm glad you came, but I think you were exaggerating a little bit. You mean to tell me you really believe that saving one boy is worth the total cost of all this facility? And Horace Mann said, yes, sir, I believe that. If it's my boy, $205 a lot for a crib, not if it's for my granddaughters or your daughter or someday their daughter, my great-great-granddaughter. i tell you what, what has impressed me in these last few days have been some things that have been communicated to me. 
young man can't know, I'm able to tell you any names, but I've been given a lot of envelopes and things have been mailed to me and some of them have been already put in offering plates. But uh, a young couple, a young man came up to me after church a, few sun, a couple Sundays ago and he said, uh, my wife and I are newly married. We've, we've not, we're trying to get started. He said, we just haven't been able to give. We just haven't been able to get started doing it. But he said, I want to start. I just want to start. And uh, so he gave me this check, and I said, can I look at it? It was folded. I said, do you want me to just put it in an envelope? He said, no, you can look at it. I looked at it. It was $25. Uh, last Sunday, a, a young couple just accepted the Lord as Savior. After the service, so we want to, we want to have a part. We want to start giving. $20. A single adult in our church sent this to me through the mail. A loaves and fishes offering for $100. That, uh, that'll take care of this wooden kitchen right here for little kids to play with. Sunday school. She gave a $100 uh, offering there, but enclosed along with that was an offering, her weekly offering, to the regular ongoing budget of the church. See, that's the kind of giving we're talking about. Over and above what we regularly give so that all of this can be done and accomplished. So there are two envelopes, one for the regular budget, the other for the loaves and fishes offering. Never done this before, but I, I, I just feel impressed to share this with you, and it's not as much as I would like to do, but it's a symbol of what I want to do, and what Martha and I want to do, and what we are doing. We tithe, we more than tithe our income uh, to the Lord's work. But in addition to that, Martha and I are going to give $460 which is a crib and a mattress twice, one in honor of Avery and the other in honor of Julia, our two little grandbabies. I wish I could add another zero to that. If I had it, I would. So that's a lot. <laughs> Not for Avery and Julia. Not at all. I'm a, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm going to call his name because this came in the children's offering over in Sunday school. Tress Johnson has a, all written on there, Lowe's and Fishes offering. And I don't know how much is in there. And I want to tell you, I don't care how much is in there. God's in there. God will be in your life in abundance and multiply blessings to you over and over and over again if you give as the Lord has given to you and blessed you. Isn't that terrific? All that to go to help minister to children. Another point I want to make, and that is what we're giving here and what Jesus gave in the feeding of the 5,000 was bread, not medicine. There were times when he needed to work in the trauma room, and he did, but there were also times when he worked in the nursery. An ounce of prevention really is worth a pound of cure. A fence at the top of the cliff's a lot better than a hospital at the bottom. And what we're building here, fences at the top of the cliff. And this equipment and the ministries performed by people who are dedicated to the Lord in this place, utilizing such facilities as this, I tell you, the more of this we do, 
to win children to faith in Christ and to help them grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and parents who sense the importance of having their children in Bible study and in worship so they can learn about the Lord. The more we do on this side of the street, the less we'll have to do at Alpha Home across the street. Where we're helping women alcoholics, many of whom didn't have this and the church liked this, that said it's important in those formative years that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That's bread, not medicine. Thank God he can work in the trauma room and even raise the dead. But he can also work in preventive medicine, inoculating against some of the disastrous diseases that are a part of our unchristian culture. We can't do too much to reach these who are too small to help themselves. You want to do something that will make me happy? You want to do something that will make me happy? You want to make me happy, you do something for Mike or Harriet or Steve or Debbie or Lisa or Avery or Judy. You want to do something to make me happy? You do something for my children or my grandchildren. You want to do something to make me angry? I mean really angry? You hurt them. You damage them. Our Heavenly Father, you want to do something to please Him? Help His children. Do you want to do something to upset Him? Watch out, He said. Don't you stop those children. Hinder them not. They're coming to me. You want to help or hurt? Heal a wound. Give your life to Christ if you've never done it. Give your home to Christ if you've never done it. Join his church if you've never done it. Start giving to his work if you've never done it. Start following him in life and in deed if you've never done it. Today is the day, and now is the time. Bring them to me.